Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Watches His Dark Materials Series 3, Episodes 5 and 6, No Way Out and The Abyss. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might or might not remember us from our coverage of A Song of Ice and Fire in general, which is still ongoing, as well as some other shows, for example, House of the Dragon. Yes, and of course, series one and two of His Dark Materials, which we covered previously, you can find at a podcast streaming platform of your choice. So with that said, we will have a spoiler policy for this episode. This spoiler policy includes the main trilogy of His Dark Materials, which we have covered in full. That is Northern Lights, The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, The Amber Spyglass, as well as The Lantern Slides, which are fragmented notes that Philip Pullman puts in these books in the published works 2007 and later, as well as that series one and two show coverage, and uh, a couple of other things that we have covered, but we won't talk about in the main part of the episode, likely. Yeah. So, for example, we won't really talk about maybe some of the novellas, even though I don't think it would affect much here, or we probably won't be discussing any of the material from the Books of Dust, such as the Belle Sauvage and, and the Secret Commonwealth, except, so we won't be discussing that in the main body of our discussion, but we will be talking about it not in this discussion, but in the discussion, dust discussion that occurs at the end of these episodes. And I also want to flag that while, yes, we are discussing the overall end of the series based on what we know from the books, we understand that in the UK and other areas in Europe, BBC has already released episodes 7 and 8 of His Dark Materials, but we have not seen them yet, and we are not going to be discussing them. I mean, we'll be discussing ideas, right, of what might happen, but we don't know. Yeah, we, we've been, we've had to really limit ourselves, and it was hard because we had a really long plane trip this week in order to watch the last two episodes on Sunday, and uh, we came back from the UK exhausted but energized, ready to go today to record this episode for you, but we're going to wait. We're going to be sticklers, and we are going to stick to that US release schedule, so you'll get our final episode of the series, and maybe we'll do a series wrap-up. I think there's tons to talk about. We limited ourselves to these two episodes an episode kind of thing, and it's been. I think it's been fun, though. I think it's been doable and uh, palatable because... Watching them two at a time works for me. Yeah, I don't know if it works or not, but I, let's be honest, I'm happier to have more each week than less, but mm -hmm. I am sad that it's not, you know, like, it's it's gonna be over. I, I legitimately am like, if I were not covering this, I probably would have delayed, like, watching that final season for months because I'm like, I can't, I can't do it again. I can't let it all end again. And this episode specifically... These two episodes reminded yeah. you of why, didn't Actually, they, Eliana? It, kind of, though last last uh, week's episodes even more so. Really? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the parting with Pan was just like so... Yeah, that's true. ...so emotional. Well, it doesn't get happier. So. No, it doesn't, and like, we're getting set up for that, and I don't... I'm not ready. I'm like seeing like every now and then screenshots, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <sighs> it's hard because we already know... We know, and that's that's also part of like why you know on our on our trip to the UK we did not extend you know or see more places, see more things. Because I'm just like I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it to be over. I'm not. 
I don't know. Me either. Girlfriend. Me either. Well, we're going to discuss more of uh, how we're not ready for it to fucking be over as we go through this episode because it is just riddled, riddled with sadness and some of those classic scenes. Like we said, it doesn't get better in terms of the sadness. Before we jump into all of that, we do have to do our little Patreon spiel at the top of the episode, but I think it's a a fun spiel because there's lots going on for Girls Gone Canon patrons this year and next year, the new year, 2023. So with that said, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where you immediately will get a private RSS feed that you can load into your podcast player. Uh, Stranger Tyrant up, you're going to get bonus episodes every month. Sometimes they're going to be His Dark Materials themed, sometimes they're going to be a Song of Ice and Fire themed, and sometimes they might just be whatever we're listening to, reading to, talking about for that month. It's been a blast doing those bonus episodes, and this month will be The Ice Dragon, a novella by George R.R. Martin. It's pretty short and sweet and, well, bittersweet, I should say, and we'll be talking about that by the end of the year up at our Patreon. Absolutely. And something else that we do on our Patreon uh, for patrons in the $10 tier and above, the Thunder tier and above, you get access to our private Discord server where we have, I don't know, lots of discussions, (laughs) not only discussions, but those are there too. And once a month, we do a brunch slash happy hour where we all get on and sometimes we'll play reindeer games. December's has already occurred and we have not yet scheduled January's, but... It sounds like, I don't know, please don't hold us to this, but someone here is batting around ideas of a bonus, a bonus game day. Yeah, there's a, we've been playing a lot of Jackbox games, a bunch of us, uh, every, every couple months at brunch we'll break them out, and there are a couple favorites, crowd favorites, but I think we're gonna play a couple New Year's Eve just hanging out at the Discord, you know, come as you go, 1pm on. Uh, I'll be around for a couple hours, if not a few hours, and I don't think I'm doing anything too crazy, but probably getting really drunk on champagne and you know, being sad about his dark materials, maybe. New Year's same me. So with that in mind, come by. And not just that, but we also have some friends that are, uh, they've hosted in the past discussions weekly about his dark materials when the series was, you know, in the lull and we're doing a rewatch, like series one, series two. I think everyone wants to do discussions themselves or discussions about dust, discussions about his dark materials, because all of us are on this wonky release schedule. So in the new year, look for information at our Patreon about those weekly discussions. Getting that access to the Discord is fun. I, I like our Discord. I like hanging out there. I don't like other other medias, honestly. Sometimes I go in there and I'm like, what's the gang up to? What you gonna do? What you doing? Yeah, there's a lot. Into shenanigans. I'm making them sound like the It's Always Sunny. The gang. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's happening i don't know part of me is like do we also i i don't know because people might not have watched it yet had batted around the idea of discussing a little bit the the finale at that new year's party but but might be too early for everyone we'll see we'll see yeah we still have some friends like warren one of our buddies who's actually been on the cast before uh for la belle sauvage right he was so funny. He was he's like watching it weekly, once a week. It just dropped for him. Like this When last, did it start? He's gonna be watching till like February, dude. Uh, yeah, he I used to fly to the UK is yeah. really what I told him. You need to go to the UK. That's what I did. Feel free to keep this or remove this, Chloe, but as I told you in private, I'm fine with people hearing like has has Britain not done enough to Ireland that they would 
keep them from getting like these episodes when everyone else does like where does it end february i guess you heard it here from eliana calling out the war crimes of the united kingdom not so united now are they are they (laughs) i guess not you know like i mean they never were and again this is part this is part of the grievances glossing over all of that what do you think your favorite scene was out of these two episodes that we're going to talk about eliana you know i always struggle with favorite scenes but i've come up with ideas for this week okay (laughs) so my favorite scenes are either and these actually are in separate episodes so maybe you can like think of it that way they can both count yorick getting ready to beat the shit out of asriel And that opening scene with Mary and Atal and learning the Malayfa language in episode five. How about you? It's almost unfair to use that one, right? Whatever. Because that was like, you can't just say the Mary not, and Lamu scene. It's not it as unfair as Ireland not getting the episodes. <laughs> I realistically do think that was like art. That 10 minute whatever scene, seven, 10 minute scene. That was art, what we saw. They, it they was condensed. so good. Wow. Anyways, we'll talk about that really soon, actually. But yeah. I had a lot of favorites in the Land of the Dead, or in especially in like the after the the second half of the Land of the Dead in that second episode. I think there were a lot of great character moments. I don't know. I, I think mine is a Coulter scene. If anyone's keeping track at home, surprise, shock, awe. It's okay. Mine's Yorick like almost every week, so it's fine. Whatever. We're scripted. Oh, we have patterns. Yeah, this is so scripted. Wow. Uh, Very patterned people with our media. But yeah, I love the Coulter scene with the monkey, but I, uh, and I'll definitely go into why later. I think there's a lot to chat about on that scene. But I also, there's something about um, the Coulter scene with Lord Roke dying, but like that Mm, they like try to help each other. And that was really sad. Not my, I don't know, not my favorite. It's just one that really spoke to me. Uh, And otherwise, I just really loved all those interactions in the Land of the Dead. I don't know if I could choose one, but there were some really good ones going on. Yeah. I I was like, are we going to see, you know, I'm going to just go balls out this week, but are we going to see a Lord Roke turn, look at Dr. Cooper and be like, I got to know her barber, but, you know, like, (laughs) they have the same haircut. No wonder they killed her, off. God. Yeah. Couldn't let those secrets get out. Yeah, for both of them. I don't know what you said to me. You were like, they share the same bull. And I was like, they must have 3D modeled Cooper's bull to be much bigger. (laughs) Something like that for the bull cut. There's that. I I actually did consider the Mrs. Coulter and monkey scene, but I was like, I don't know. Like, where am I feeling really drawn? I did really like that scene, but my heart told me Yorick. And I don't know, being a basic bitch is apparently how you feel about me picking the Mary scene. (laughs) I just think it's it's not that it's basic, it's that it's like a choice that like it's we already know. Like everybody sure, loves that sure, scene. Sure. You know, fair. that's not fair to say. There's so many other great scenes to highlight and we'll highlight that one in just a moment anyways. It's gonna get a big chunk of our time, I'm sure. But where do you rate these episodes overall? And like, it doesn't have to be exact. You don't have to be like 9.3 on episode five. And I'm gonna give this one an 8.7. And you don't have to do that. But overall, your vibe. Yeah, I'm I'm just so hard. Like numbers are hard for me in that aspect. I I'm gonna be honest, and I think these were the weakest episodes of the season for me. In that I struggled with, I don't know if it was the changes, but just some of the ways like that that things fell in the these episodes, and 
I really loved season two and some of the changes that happened there, but it reminded me a little bit of how I, I did have a lot of criticisms with season one. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of that. I did have a, I was a little turned off in the Tony Marcarios of the entire episode. Oh, you don't know that name? They didn't either. <laughs> but I was a little turned off by that because I was hoping they would fix all of those issues. A lot of the same issues that Golden Compass came across, right? In their movie, that they condensed certain plot lines to fit into a, the, the movie, which didn't work. And execs ate it alive. And you can hear about that in the episode we did on it, which we'll link below. But it's hard because I think we come at this from a different perspective, right? That we suffered for a very long time I have and suffered. held out. We've suffered with another pretty popular adaptation now of book to show. And we also just got done watching another adaptation from that universe that has started a season of it that was decent adaptation and the bold risks they took from the book to the show or in just adapting details were really cleverly done in some aspects, not perfect in others. There were still some bumps in that as well. But so we kind of, you know, from the A Song of Ice and Fire standpoint, it's hard because now when I watch shows, I leverage it differently, right? Like there's some stuff that I'm like, I get how they did it. I don't like it. I don't have to like it. I get how they did it. These two episodes, I would put them in the eight to eight, like leaning up to nine, like the eight range. I think they were strong. The the emotional moments were very emotional, even when I was pissed in one scene, like, why did they do this? By the end of the episodes, I forgot. I forgot a amount of the changes. There's a change that I felt really betrayed by that I was like, how could they do this to me? Like, I never saw it coming that I felt salty about. I still feel salty about it. So I don't know. We come at it from book adaptation. We come at it from previous bad adaptations in a sobering way not in a like a knocking way like a, i'll let them get away with a lot personally i think because i've i mean once they ruin sansa stark's arc in the veil for me it's like what else is there to do you know you ruin sansa stark what else is there to do yeah you what cannot is, what, hurt me further you know to make me feel that kind of way i wasn't happy with that it's apt to compare it to the tony macario's thing because yeah some of the the, the changes were small right for some of it. It still speaks to me of the issue with with the Tony Macario's thing is it loses some of the characterization and the themes, the messages of the books. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with changes that either heighten or, you know, still stay true to that spirit. Like for example, last week when we were talking about the changing of the setting of how the suburbs of the dead are done, right? Like you did lose one theme, right, in terms of what we were talking about of living a half-life in in how the people were living in the suburbs of the dead. But it still worked for me if the train station, like, and you think of it in the context of the Chronicles of Narnia, right? And what the books are responding to. So that works for me, but like, or the changes that were made to how Joppery died, that works. For me, some of these changes, I think, again, they're minor, but it loses some of the important themes of the things that Philip Pullman wanted to critique. I don't know if he wanted to, I can't like ascribe it, but that's how it came through. Yeah, there's definitely one that feels unforgivable to me. The rest of the changes in these episodes, I get them from like a not trying to be an asshole, just like a watered down viewer way. I do get it. And I still think it gets some of it across and they keep a lot of those themes strong in some of the other segments of the plot. But we're going to get into that in a bit. Definitely eight. I still think one and two were weaker but I might change my opinion on rewatch, like, of the whole season. I don't want to, like, critique, like, every single change, right? There are people for whom that is how they feel. They want just, like, a 
complete book to show and i'm like that's what your imagination is for the budget has no limits right yeah and also i i think if i weren't watching this you know maybe in this way i as you said right at the end of the episodes i'd like forget and be like you know that was great but i am thinking about it in this way and so come at it with that sort of like here's how i feel in terms of that criticism Obviously, after next week, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be more criticisms, but I'm sure there'll be things that might even pay off that might make us go, okay, I'm all right on that. Sure. I, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. This is just in the moment, you know, our big reacts. This is what we feel. And to be fair, as we kind of mentioned, episode five opens with a masterpiece. I it mean, does. absolute, this is a fucking masterpiece, right? With Mary following a towel thinking on her mission and holding a seed pod. And from the very cut, I have to say that I called it. I am a prophet. The Mulefa had Heelys. I literally was joking, but like I was so serious that they were going to have Heelys. And little wheelies, little Heelys, they're using the seed pod to get around. Their parents probably get annoyed as hell with that. I'm just putting that out there. I had Heelys when I was a kid, and I went out at recess and it had rained recently and i didn't understand how they worked and so i just had mud in them and my parents were like you're not allowed to have these and they like threw them out oh my gosh that's hilarious i did not have them and like honestly it's not too late i was gonna say now i know and i thought about it i was like it's not too late for me but i will say so i thought it was great that they the way that they did it again i don't mind that they don't have a diamond shaped body to be honest i could never really like imagine what that looked like in my head anyway and i've seen like artwork that is great of it but also i'm like whoa that's it's bizarre and that's i guess the point but it's a silazar from pokemon i have to i i is that in the new generation because i haven't seen that one yet i cannot find my switch it's ruining my fucking life uh, because of stuff with moving but i will say like i i like the way that they've done these movements for the malefa it kind of feels like they drew inspiration from skateboarding and skiing maybe even a little bit of like paddle boarding or something in the way that like you know when they were going off of some of the sides of stuff and the pushing off so i thought they incorporated a lot of different ways to execute that motion and it was lovely you you, you got a sense of all of it right like the scope even it's obvious they condensed this plot line a lot to fit into these couple of episodes, but it is actually the one plot you can do that with because it's a lot of chapters of Mary doing things with the Mulefa, which I love. I do love. Like, I, there is, I love those chapters so much, and I wouldn't hate seeing them every single episode of her just mm-hmm. hanging out with the Mulefa, but I get why it's condensed. It makes sense. It's smart. You have the sense of families starting and hopefully we'll get another scene or two in the next couple episodes to really show the village of you know yeah. their people uh the babies the baby mulefa oh my god i cannot that was amazing the subtitles were brilliant in the beginning having atal and mary speaking back and forth and having the the mulefa's language just melt away into the english words was so cool it mm-hmm. was a very immersive experience for that first scene alone. Like at that ended now, I was like, wow, what a way to start an episode. That was great. That was a brilliant way to convey like the gradual learning of a language. Mm-hmm. And also I loved watching Mary practicing the motions that are part of how you speak the Malefa's languages. And it, it feels almost like an interesting response to Mrs. Coulter's use of British sign language 
earlier in the season. Uh, but also I think there's something a little serpentine, right? About the motions as her arms move, etc. Mm. And that is her role to play the serpent as we are reminded in this episode. There's that great overture from Zephania where you're hearing her words in Mary's head once more too, right, of what her true mission is. And so uh, the first time I watched it, I think I got a little Mulefa struck. I was too excited. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of missed it. I didn't think about what Zephania was saying and why the fuck it mattered. I was just like, yeah, 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 show me more Mulefa, show me more. But Mary seems really conflicted as she was in the story in the books, right? That she doesn't, her goals are actually almost the same thing in a way. Yeah. Also, she thinks that she needs to be with them. She should be guiding them. Someone should be, like Selmachia. Anyway, <laughs> someone should be guiding them. I don't know, uh, but it's the same no, goal. Right. <laughs> Protecting dust. Yeah, it, and it just doesn't always play out the way that you'll think, which is what happens in the books, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love that, as you said, right, as she's trying to figure out why she's here, you start the sequence with Mary questioning that and asking Atal, who does not, the two do not understand one another yet, right? There must be a reason why she's here. And then the sequence ends with Atal telling Mary, like, after that they've learned to understand each other, that seeing Shroff is why Mary is here. And so that plays in perfectly with one another. But as you said, in regards to being, like, wanting to see the Malefa and being Malefa struck, that's a great point. Like, I do wish we saw a little bit more of their civilization. We saw it a little bit in terms of, you know, the kids running around. But I think that it's such a core part of the story to show that this is still humanity even if it looks different right because like when mary mm -hmm. first goes with them she's like i'm following a talking elephant and i think that's important that that idea that just because someone looks different from you you are still people you are still humans and deserve respect for one another <sighs> despite your differences yeah and a lot of those themes felt like they were in this episode just not necessarily perfectly structured there i definitely think we see the mary learning their way which is great mm -hmm. but i want a little more and i think we're what with the books it kind of happens that you get another chapter and then the dua lipa show up the tuolapi and that's the real conflict that shows up but i think they're probably going to expedite it and it'll be the will and lyra showing up sooner than later because there's still like that space to kind of that gap to close up now with no burbs yeah, like I, I want to see, I want to see just like how they have civilization, you know. And I, I think we might have to get that eventually. I think next episode with Will and Lyra showing up a little earlier there might happen since they have the time to cut there because mm. it might be able to flash between Asriel's camp because it looks like we might get some Asriel camp in the next episode. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. So kind of showing those next to one another and those different civilizations made up of so many different people like the witches. I could see that being a parallel, a way they might want to take. Yeah, and especially because like I guess a lot of it takes place in the final episode, right? Probably with mm -hmm. the world of the Malefa. So there's like, I assume that we'll see that. So I don't know. There's this great part where Mary holds up the drawing that she's made of a towel and she goes, it's you. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what I do to my cats in the mirror all the time. I'm like, look, it's you. I'm like, damn, Mary, it's you. It was very funny. A lot of good, a lot of good humor through all the sadness in yeah. all of this. And and actually, that's a great point because cats don't know that, they right? Like, a lot of animals, that's part of the whole like thing of what counts as sentient slash humanity, right? Or self con that's self-consciousness. Because mm -hmm. a cat or an animal would look at that and be like, that's another animal. <laughs> Whereas a Malefa can see even from a drawing, because I guess they, my assumption is it looks like they have unique markings. 
would see that drawing and Mary pointing and understand, oh yeah, great job, you're a wonderful artist, that is a picture of me, because they understand representation because they are people. Are you saying that my cats don't know it's them? Because I think they know it's them. So then we have the intro dance break. Yeah, so back to the boat where everyone is really sad, right? Just pure depression hours with Will and Lyra. Yeah, they, they kind of hint at it. I just think that Will should have been in a little more physical pain, not just emotional, but whatever. He looked discomforted, to be fair. Like, he had a look on his face that was, like, very... And I only got to watch them... Like, I watched it on my computer once because I had to, like, share screens in my household to kind of, like, rewatch. So with that in mind, it was a little dimmer on second watch, but there is something mm. I noticed that the fog in the scene is also hard. Like, I- I'm-, I'm thinking there's some little reveries in acting from Amir that we also can't quite see. He doesn't, mm. like, go out of control to, like, clutch his heart and fall over, but he looks pained. Yeah, he does. And also, I want to say that, like, Amir is just killing it in-, in a lot of these episodes. Yeah. I loved his reaction also, like, later on the- with the harpies and being like, that kid looks haunted. He There's definitely obvious references to his demon, and mm-hmm. it was great build-up for this episode because at the end of episode six, you get the reveal that, of course, he has a demon, my son, from Joppery. So, really great. I can't believe that I'm going to see Kerjava on a screen soon. That's going to happen for me. And there's this very awful sad line where he says, it feels like I've known her my whole life. Maybe she's with Pan now. She is. Don't worry. She's there. I mean, yes, she, you, you have known her your whole life. Also, speaking of Kurjava, I just realized this as you were talking about this, um, and knowing her your whole life and with the idea of naming and later on, will someone says, you can't just give, well, the harpy says, you can't just give someone a name and someone does that to Kurjava. That's true. It's absolutely true. Good call. This, Good call. this is also that kind of a bad. plot line in Evangelion 3.0 <laughs> plus 1.1, 1.01, whatever. Thrice upon a time. So they go into the land of the dead. This is the big entrance to the land of the dead. Yeah, I love that the boatman just pieces out. I don't know about you. I don't know if that was supposed to be humorous, but it is for me. I think there are some things that I found humorous that in a positive way that maybe they weren't supposed to be but i just like pain the title of this episode is no turning back the episode title takes it from the chapter title of the amber spyglass and it feels very much like a reference to Sartre's uh play i don't remember we might have actually talked about this during the amber spyglass maybe more towards the time of the abyss but no exit right no way out and it's a play that is about hell, in which three people are trapped in the room, and the, essentially the conclusion is hell is other people. They torture one another through sort of like their life experiences and digging into one another's f- like perceived flaws, like the things that they hate about themselves, right? Really digging into those hurts, and that is how the harpies operate by by digging into the things that you're insecure about and using it to hurt you, all of your faults. And it does speak a little bit to that ending of Marisa and Asriel and Metatron, right? Three figures that'll be stuck with one another for eternity, torturing one another, probably loving and torturing one another. That 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 swivel between it all, that's a little bit of what happens in No Exit. I'm like, I think it's going to be a lot sexier than that. 
but no exit was pretty like dark like touches on sensuality and like sexiness but it's also really warped so yeah so really sexy (laughs) what i just heard yeah yeah lord roke rides above dr cooper and marisa's imprisoned and she's like ready to go feral her eyes are on one target dr cooper lord roke and marisa speak about asriel and dr cooper and the bomb before she starts to you know get her claws in and go do some stuff there's something really great in the character development for marisa with roke that they did on screen that in the books we get it a little subtler of course because it's a book but Roke doesn't have enough juice to kill them, he says. He's like, I could take out two of them, but there's more. Like, I can't do all of them. And instead of telling him yes or no, Marisa goes into Marisa mode and she starts to use her own weapon. She's like, I can take care of this with my weapon, just one person, which is Dr. Cooper, right? Mm -hmm. That is a direct in response to what Roke said. When he said, I could only kill two before dying, she went, no. There's no option for that. And then later, we'll talk about it, but his death really evokes an emotional response in her, which in the books, it's kind of opposite that like the response is drained because she's emotional. But I like that in the way that they flipped it to be emotional, it kind of shows you that pattern without having to go through the mind of Marisa Coulter for a few chapters. Yeah. When you're depicting something visually, sometimes you do have to go towards the more action-oriented decision, right? Mm -hmm. And great point. And- Something that I do love about this episode is that Mrs. Coulter stays in this outfit for practically the whole episode, and a lot of her actions seem very similar to Lyra breaking out of Bolvanger, and and some of, I don't know, season one slash book one Lyra in general, right? And so the haircut that she has now, that hairstyle paired with the blue dress, really tie her visually to that young Lyra from season one and how they how they dressed her. Yes, I thought that she was very much dressed almost like, you know, lamb for slaughter at the Magisterium, interestingly Mm. mirrored to young, innocent Lyra for slaughter in season one. And she's not wearing heels, and that's focused on very much in both this episode and when she gets to Asriel's. When she gets to Asriel's, it focuses on her shoes being flats and not the usual kitten heels that she strolls about in all the time, almost showing like... Not tame, but more like a docile version of her, right? Like, she's supposed to have been cowed being the Magisterium's prisoner and being more docile, but, I mean, once she thinks Lyra's dead throughout the episode, too, this is her mission now, is getting as close to Lyra as she can, and here she is, Lyra Jr. Now that said, she returns to her safari clothes later, so she's back in action. I mean, she is, right? Because Lyra's Eve, mother of us all, so Mm -hmm. maybe she is Lyra Jr., and... (gasps) Lyra yeah, great, great call on the shoes and the focus on it because they did have a shot of her in the previous week's episodes. They do specifically focus on the those heels, like the footwear and the clothes are such a big part of Maurice's characterization. And I felt like that was probably important that they had her in these clothes because, yeah, they're not her usual style, but they were like way too fashionable to be prisoner's clothing. Yeah, no, absolutely too fashionable. Well, that's the thing is putting her in that simple dress, simple fabric, knocked her down a couple pegs, right? She went in strong and proud to the magisterium trying to fulfill in her mother's clothes that role once they gave them to her. She's like, I will, I'm going to boss this shit like I used to. But now she's leaving it having been a prisoner in this docile outfit, choosing Lyra over her mom and her mom's ways, right? Like the way that her mom treated her. 
they could have just thrown her in like a simple shift you know something that almost looks like a hospital gown but closed all over mm-hmm. and they didn't do that or like i don't know something that looks like a habit but isn't and they didn't do that yeah so will and lyra find the walls in the land of the dead are made of people's things that have washed up there they also meet the dead I mean, they they are here. Dead children tell Lyra about their demons, but something hears them. A girl then takes over as their guide. I thought those walls were interesting. The memories that these people aren't allowed to keep or cherish, right? And that builds what prisons them. That imprisons them. Their belongings. The things they don't get to keep from their old lives, and now they're trapped here. Pretty fucked yeah, up. Yeah, it is. It's, it's nice, though. It's a nice choice of, like, how to depict that idea of, like, the wasteland, right? An unreal city made yes. up of... All these washed up things. Yeah, much like we've talked about in the past with the wasteland. Exactly. Back at the Magisterium, Daddy Hitler Youth Gomez uh, reminds Father, well, sorry, Fuhrer Bradley, as Eliana would want me Fuhrer, to say. Fuhrer, Father Fuhrer King Bradley. King is actually, turns out, King that guy's first name. I want to remind everyone that. I've met another King recently. That's so interesting. Really? That's three. I know a real one, that one, and then also there's a King in... Tekken. I guess it's like not that weird when you think of names like, I don't know, Reginald, Rex, right? Or or Regina. But That's it's true. just hilarious to me. Fury King, King Bradley, Father President. <laughs> ah, well, Gomez tells McPhail, touching another demon is taboo as he walks in on him, you know, with his fingers over the cage with the monkey being all, I want to touch her demon. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my hands on her. And I'm like, this is uncomfortable. He wants to just assault her demon. That's what he wants. That's what he has wanted to covet this whole time is her and her demon. And it's very apparent through all of his motions through the whole episode, right? He's very aggressive and creepy and touching her, right, inappropriately or trying to touch her inappropriately. I'm like, whatever happened, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's demon, or thy neighbor's goodies. No coveting of thy neighbor's goodies. It makes me think of... So tell me, Maria, I am a righteous man. Uh, yep. Heaven's Light and Hell's Fire from The Hunchback mm-hmm. of Notre Dame. Hunchback. The very, yep, the very best Disney song. Also reminds me of Stannis and Melisandre and Shireen, but anyways, glossing over that. Yeah, it it was a an interesting scene, and it makes me kind of question now. Like, it's something that I didn't think about in the books, but it's still definitely in play there, but... You know, what did Father McPhail intend by severing Marisa, considering that many, though not all of the adults, right, seem to actually survive the procedure, as we saw in Bolvanger with uh, Nurse Galadriel, and, like, that's not really the case for the children. A lot of them don't survive the procedure, whereas adults fear better. So I'm like, what, what was his plan? It is definitely non-consensual, whatever this plan is, and I don't fucking like it. The implication is horrific. And mm-hmm. it's like, knowing that there's a difference that adults survive it after a certain time because of hitting puberty? Is that what's being implied in some aspects? Or of being sexually active? Or of being, like, what, what is being implied in some ways, too? I never, like, fully understood it, right? Because we know that some of the soldiers are able to do so as well. I don't know if it's, like, a combination of, like, there's just a stronger, uh, like, tie to life and being able to mm-hmm. survive some sort of 
thing like that or if it's like having any kind of like life experience makes that possible for you because i don't know right like they had those i forgot the tartars like dogs that they're severed soldiers like in the first book and i never really figured that out mk ultra ass shit going on yeah. i'm gonna pull here. lyra i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen uh i thought the scope of having this battle and these scenes take place at the magisterium instead of elsewhere was interesting because in the books we have an open outdoorsy kind of setting um i know we had to li literally pick our battles here and pun intentionally pick them because of budget so it it's a more intimate and small scenario going on uh it it's funny though because it's kind of like in the books it's very much a mid end of the book like one of the the second you know the penultimate big moment is this land of the dead and then you have the end those are the three biggies you, have, you know events. well you forgot attack and, and dethrone god yeah and god forgot about him he's easy <laughs> to forget he's in the abyss you know uh he's dead he's gone he's dust on the wind yeah, i don't know it's interesting like that it has a lot to compete with with the land of the dead so they have to kind of balance that so i think the scope of this works but in my head it's a battle sequence i was expecting a full-out battle scene mm. i i did feel it was a battle sequence for me like but i see what you mean but maybe i just think of i guess not a battle right but it is a fight scene so therefore i'm fine with it no it works out and it's one of those things that i think it, it's a good way they condensed it but i actually had to go back and reread today because i was like oh wow mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, there's a lot of people, and I, I think it works also for some of the things that it calls back to, which we'll discuss in a second. It's a bummer that Roke, his role gets, you know, is gone no matter what in this scene, because it could really use some Salmachia and some Tialis right now in the world of the dead. Yeah, yeah, it helps kind of, you know, having Salmachia and Tialis kind of sh helps show the stakes of, you know, what it was that, like, Will and Lyra were risking. And then in turn, what Roke died yeah. for as well for them yeah and what Roke um, and Roke, Salmaki and Tiales were also risking but thankfully for Salmaki and Tiales they don't have to go that far right they just go back to where they started upon it, they could actually be right there their souls could have popped out of their little bodies right there <laughs> and then they could go straight on through the window take two steps the little girl guide <laughs> I'm serious character development with Lyra and Will like just an ounce of character development then she hears them the harpies, the birds, and it scares her off. Lyra hears what she thinks is Roger whispering her name, but then it transforms into Pan. And I thought this was great. This was so well done with the harpies, right? She's screaming for mm -hmm. Will, and he comforts her, and they talk about eternity in this land and how horrible it would be. And Lyra rushes ahead to look for Roger. You don't, uh, in the book, you, you just know the harpies are evil and mean, and you hear some of what they say, but the way they zoomed in on the faces and made you feel like, almost like it was like a horror movie for a minute right of what they were hearing and thinking it was really well done the audio yeah it's a great point they really have the harpies kind of do more of like illusion stuff and to do that sort of psychic damage on you and yeah i i also love daphne the way she delivered that line of like when pan's saying mean things to her and she's like this isn't real you're not real you know like i i cannot deliver it because i'm not an actor i'm very bad at it also, when they kept saying Lyra's name, all I could also think, as I told you, was Lyra, Lyra. Lyra. Yeah, Kate Bush. I forgot the words. I gotta, I gotta re-listen. 
I also think they did a good job of conveying the guilt she feels about Roger, about Will, about all of this. Yeah. Right? Really, the Harpies were doing a great job of negging, for sure, throughout the whole episode. Yeah. They they do. They, they come at you in a lot of different ways, you know. How many ways can they fuck you up emotionally? So then Lyra does find Roger, but they're... Reunion, it's solemn, it's sad until Will until Lyra breaks the ice. And then Will introduces himself, Roger walks away, and Lyra swears that she'll break him out, following him. I think I like the way this was adapted because it's kind of, you know, we've talked a little bit about how they're a little more grown than they are in the books, mm-hmm. right? They were a little smaller in the books at this time. But Roger's attitude, I found, was, you know, a little heavier in show compared to the book, which is good, because I kind of feel like the book is like, yeah, Lyra, thanks for finally saving me after I got killed. I knew you'd come someday. I'm ready to go die for real now. Goodbye, fellow orphan. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a little, it gives Roger agency, right? That he's allowed to feel this way, that he gets a chance to be upset, thinking she'd come, and then she just disappeared and never came back. And then also, blanket upset Roger is over within moments of me blinking. So, I have no qualms with this. I like it, especially later because he and Will have kind of some cute beef we'll get into. I think that he did a great job coming on back, Mr. Roger Parslow. Yeah, I think what you said makes sense, especially not not just given their ages. It's hinted at in the books, right? How Roger feels like a little sadness as he sees that little bits of jealousy, right? It's much more subtly delivered, but I think this works because they are trying to play up more of that romance aspect, which is good so that we can feel maximum pain at the end mm-hmm. of the series. It also, I think, is it's good because it shows you what Roger's lost by dying, right? Not just... It shows you what Asriel took from him, right? That yeah. Roger, it's not just if he had feelings for Lyra, he doesn't get to experience, which is what it's all about. He doesn't even get a chance to experience life, heartbreak, love, any of it, because it was taken from him. Yeah, and now he's stuck in that form and in that place and unable to feel those things, and Lyra's moved on to a new part of her life, so of course he's going to feel a little sad and a little jealous and upset. I think it's great that he gets he gets a chance to have feelings on this screen, because that boy gone. Motherfucker's mm-hmm. out of here. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's on the fucking wind now, but... <laughs> Actually, literally, yeah, absolutely. He he's got, feeling everything now. Yeah, he deserved to have like a personality and thoughts. You know, he was only in so few episodes as it was in series one, and he was really good. Yeah, he's, he's really good in all of his all of his scenes. So, I like good that for kid. you, kid. Yeah, Lewin Lloyd, something like that. Lewin yeah, Lloyd, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. He was he was he was amazing. All right, so Will reminds Lyra that she pro. Miss Pan that she would try, and then they try making a window, but it doesn't work. And then the harpy comes to, again, continue passionately nagging Will, and it's super mean, and then it's mean to Lyra, but Lyra's able to snap out of it uh, and tells Will she figured out the knife thing. I like that she snaps out of it because she sees Will in pain, right? That's what saves her, that this she sees the one that she loves hurting, and she can find the strength to go on because of that. Father Gomez and Father... King Bradley Fuhrer President McPhail have another scene. Gomez proposes that he go after the serpent instead as contrition for his baddie daddy behavior, as Chloe has put here in these notes, which is an interesting little twist, right? Versus uh, how he's sent to kill the little girl instead. Yeah, I I liked that, though. I thought that was good that he... I had a feeling because Marisa gave up that information previously and was like, 
there's going to be a serpent, you know, that's yeah, going to tempt yeah. her. We got to stop her. That was what I was trying to do. I knew that that would lead probably to his reasoning for going out mm-hmm. on the winds. I just didn't know that it was going to come from Father Gomez being so mad at him. Yeah, I guess he's going to also try and go after Lyra as like a, you know, part of that opportunity later on. I understand why they like didn't go the decision of having the self-flagellation, etc. It probably would have been really weird on screen. It works in terms of like the criticisms of like really, really intense Catholicism as we discuss in the books, but these make sense. Also, McPhail's like in the in the throes of all of it. You know, he's like, yeah. I don't care at this point because I am so close to being God. So Yeah. <laughs> Until he's not. Oop. Mary continues linguistics with the Mulefa and spots some pieces of amber in the water that she picks out. She reworks them into a lens after getting some oil on her fingers from the seed pods and touching the amber and seeing dust through them. And then, of course, going back for a bigger piece of amber. She holds it up and watches dust fly all around Atal, and Atal then tells her to look from the tree where she finds the dust is leaving. God, so good. Great scenes. And, of course... I love the connections to last week with the forging of the knife. This is once more intentionally crafting the spyglass. I want to say we grouped those three chapters together, actually, because of that when we covered them. But the idea of just like crafting something together to be able to see dust and putting that seed oil in it, not just that, but also the time and the patience and what it takes internally to apply yourself to get it to where you want it to be. We didn't get to see the entire lacquer process, but I know what it took because I read the book, so... Yeah, and I guess she's probably going to make something, I don't know, more spyglassy, I assume. We'll get there. They just wanted to devote more time to it. And also, we, we're just starting, right? We just fucking got here to the world of the Malefa, so, like, giving it room to breathe. But I, is, like, every Mary scene a masterpiece? Maybe. The music, the um, yeah. the, the visuals, the everything. It's yeah. It's amazing. And I hear yeah, absolutely no spoilers because I told them do not tell me, but I hear it gets better from there. That's great. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. They put their whole spy gussy into it. <laughs> oh my god. I thought you were gonna say they're Melissa. I was like, wow. Oh no no no, that one's I think they might, but you know, let's let's hold off for that for a bit. We discussed this in our book coverage, but you know, it's the amber spyglass. They're using amber to make the things and the oil to see it and it plays well because amber versus electrum both of them are that that element right that they find out will and lyra have different words for in each of their respective worlds and then like ambaric you know being like the word amber versus electricity and how that ends up like developing differently between those two worlds so also i just want to say again regarding the mary scene like mary not she's like an amazing explorer but also very swole i guess because she's just free climbing this incredibly tall tree i don't know if there's holes inside the tree or like shelters or something so you can take a rest as you get to different points a safe point you know but i would die i would have literally already died and fallen off i'm not in great physical shape you know i've had a few months of resting because my bum leg so I would also before that not do well, even before the leg. You probably just so, try, <laughs> yeah. I probably would never even try, so I don't know how I'd do because I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. She has no harness or anything. Mommy Mary. Yeah. 
I can't wait till the next episodes now. I'm kind of getting excited. Yeah. Lyra reminds Roger of Jordan, of their childhood. It's a beautiful montage, and she tells him stories. They reminisce on being orphans together. And Will brings others who want to hear their stories as well. A beautiful way to adapt that. Gorgeous. Part of those stories are there the Adventures of Will. Also, of course, our homie, Jorg Bernison. <laughs> yes. Oh, I hate it here. It was so sad. I was sobbing like the whole time. I was a mess. I was, uh, that was where I was like. It was beautiful, yeah. They did a really good job with all of the Roger stuff and gave him a really great goodbye and the montages and actually letting them all express their emotions together and have these moments. Um, I definitely wish that the Harpies would have swooped in and been a little more attacky. I expected some blood so that Will could use some blood moss. I was, I was disappointed. I was like, yeah, fuck her up. No name. Gracious yeah. Wings. <laughs> Gracious Wings. There was the funniest part. They were all gathered looking, you know, not very happy. The Harpies are like, they flap their wings. They're listening to the stories. They're like, these stories are so bad. And then they're like, wait, I love them. <laughs> Well, Lyra and Will tell the omelet story, which I love, and it had me wheezing. Will's like, she made me an omelet, but she left the shells in. And he's like looking around at everyone else like, right, guys? That is messed up. Right, guys? Right, guys? And Lyra has this look on her face, which my cat gets whenever I like tell her not to do something or spray her with water. And Lyra looks like she just wanted to be like, I still don't get why that was wrong. I still don't understand why I did the wrong thing there with the shells in the omelet. Can someone tell me? Are you saying that Lyra feels like why is everyone egging will on right now i'm not gonna say that Ellen. <laughs> i'm not gonna do that because it's what you want and i won't I do think it. that's what you're saying oh my god so the shot of lyra and will walking through the crowd before they start announcing to everyone there's like a little bit of it that's shot from above and i i think it might be a reference it it, it evokes the book cover of one of the editions of the amber spyglass the edition that I read, so I I like that. And also, I will say, where are the Malefa and the Galavespians in the Land of the Dead? Like, the, their shades, right, that are supposed to be there, because it's all kinds of different human. Uh, I love Will going up there and saying, hi guys, I'm Will. Dying. <laughs> I don't know why. That, that was so funny to me. A critique that I have... This isn't and isn't like a change from the books, but it just, I was a little bit like, eh, hold on a second there, right? The woman who is advocating for Lyra and Will, jailbreaking everyone out of the land of the dead, says anything is better than this. And, you know, she raises some great points about the themes of the story, right? This, this part is strong of, why did I live my life allowing dogmatic faith to supersede the actual experience of living? Unfortunately, I don't think it serves as a actually good rebuttal to the guy who is doubting like wait hold on what is on the other side and the questions that he raises because i think there's a difference between how the conflict is portrayed in the book in which a person who refuses to go through the window does so out of a fear of change out of a fear of the unknown right like that lack of courage versus how it's portrayed here which is this guy wants to know am i going to see my son again and that's different that's a manifestation of love and that i think is an expression of the experience of humanity especially because we talk in these two episodes and by we i mean seraphina especially about love being an experience that is good that it, it is living and it changes you so it felt to me a little bit hand wavy and dismissive and so i'm a little conflicted about the way the exploration of that theme shows up 
in this conversation. Yeah, specifically the guy asks specifically the guy asks, "Will I see my son again?" Right? Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. I was confused. I wasn't sure does he mean that his son's there with him cuz I d- didn't see like a boy he was holding. So that that was my confusion I do not because, know. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we needed a little more to show how bad the harpies were. Like we get it cuz they were obviously bad, but I wanted some swooping in cuz that would also be like, "Oh yeah, anything is better than here." You know? some uh, evil harpy shit because I-, I took it as if his son isn't in the land of the dead with him that still is a valid question but it's probably still better than waiting there and not being able to find out yeah like do you wait for your kid to die right like is that a right. thing like well what, do i should i wait here until my son dies and then we go together or something right if he's alive or is his son as you said lost in the land of the dead because we find out that girl who was their guide I was like, yeah, my sister's here somewhere, but I lost her. I was never able to find her because I was discouraged. So those are different. And if we were going to do this route, I think it needed a little more sharpening to get that message across. Yeah, I definitely needed a little more, just a little more to understand. But especially because of the Serafina conversation, like you said, I think that brings up such great, such great things to think about and like to actually dig into of like, you know, Serafina doesn't think she'll ever see her son again right or if she does it'll be that he's already in everything right Mm -hmm. like for her with her son dead i think there's a part of it that he's already in or she hopes that he's already in everything or thinks he is but if he was trapped down in the dead with everyone else he's not right he's not everywhere around you on the wind like dust yeah and so it could have it could have gone with Anything is better than this, and therefore the idea of wouldn't you want this for your kid? Yeah. Something better than this. But it, it's just like an, a question that the, the answer doesn't correspond to the question. And, and there's a couple scenes that feel disjointed as far as the dialogue and what's happening in them that I'm wondering, did the direction change or did something change I'm interested in, in the Land of the Dead specifically? Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm interested because this isn't the only disjointed moment in my opinion. Yeah, it's uh, admittedly, you know, it's a complex place to, I don't know, film and do a bunch. There's a lot that happens in the land of the dead, but there's a lot of people who are dead. So (laughs) would you would you believe Coulter is handcuffed and brought to a chamber where she please slash manipulates with Dr. Cooper. But in comes Father McPhail, who takes the time to mansplain the technology Coulter created to her on how Lyra will die. You know, the villain speech before the whole severing shebang. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I cannot wait for Double M's analysis on the podcast called The Dust, the dust podcast that covers his dark materials, because I feel like the music was a little different in the scene, right? Like a, a different version of how it's usually executed. So very excited to hear that analysis from him i can't wait to listen to their uh five and six episodes actually to the dust now that you say because there were also these little many darker versions with the main theme right that main melody that do 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 yeah very sad instead of the triumphant and yeah there were a lot of variations i want to hear him break down there was a line from mcphail where he says go willingly and this could be your redemption to coulter about the intercision chamber which is funny to me because that's what she actually does, right? Go willingly. This could be your redemption. She willingly goes and takes Metatron into the abyss. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of what I guess, you know, you juxtapose that with the land of the dead. Go willingly to the window and that is your redemption. Yeah. Lyra tells them all about 
Lee Scoresby, who is somewhere around these parts, and the dead feel more alive and vow to come with her out of the land of the dead. The harpies don't seem to like that their prey is being taken, which is probably how most people, well, most, most creatures feel about their prey. And Lyra stands her ground, telling everyone to think of the stories, which is honestly my motivation for doing a lot of things. It wasn't even because of these books. I actually do sometimes do things because I'm like, it'll be a good story. Ah, I'm ready. I'm ready to tell Harpies things. Anyway, so as they walk away, a man in a hat makes his way through the crowd, and it's Lee Scoresby. They reunite, and Lee says he'll help corral all of them to follow Will and Lyra. And I love, there's kind of a moment of sadness where Lyra's like, wait, you're dead? It's a little humorous. My partner was watching over my shoulder as I was doing this, and he goes, he's going to die. And I'm like... He's he's already dead. That's why he's here. <laughs> he's dead already. And he's like, well, he's still gonna die. I'm like, yeah, but like that's also the goal. Alright, that is a good thing. Also, he's already dead. Yeah. In the books, we learn that from Yorick. He tells them and she's like, Oh no, not Mr. Scoresby. He's like, so. Yeah, I ate him, which we didn't see. I, I understand like why he doesn't say that, but like I'm just reminding everyone that in the books Yorick ate him. Thank you for that reminder, Eliana, just in case anyone forgot. What Eliana's tastes are. Yep. We get to see the clouded mountain, which looks really metal. I will say the flash we got metal to see of it. Tron. It does. Get it? Metal Tron. Uh, the, the look that we got to see from the outside was very interesting, and I love the inside. Alarbus kneels before the cube, and then Metatron mm-hmm. comes out the top like a projection, right? He's like a little steely projection. He plans yeah, to give the mortals a warning because they have been playing with dust and he doesn't like that because they're not God. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember there being sort of like thundery, right? Mm-hmm. Imagery around it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think thunder is very much associated with the God's depiction in Paradise Lost and like his palace. So, Yes. Metal. Metal. Me- Metatron. Oh my God, I almost said Metatron. Metatron ordering Alarbus to kneel before the authority, kneel before the authority, or get down on one whatever, was, I think, a nice way to do a lot of lifting here in terms of that characterization with the way that the line was delivered of how Metatron seems to, you know, be using his proximity to someone else's uh, authority to wield power over others. He wants to control them. And... It's not surprising to me we got a Metatron scene, like a behind-the-scenes Metatron scene like this, and it's yeah. smart, because I, I, it, the only time you get to hear all about him is in a war council, and you're like, oh, there's our new evil character we're going to meet, and I think this does a good job of kind of setting him up to be baddie to pay attention to. Baddie angel. Yeah, I kind of like that they started bringing him in earlier. I guess they did at the beginning of the the season, which is also kind of how it goes in the books. But also, you're kind of like, wait, what? That's the bad guy. And by having a Larbus too, they actually like foreshadow that he's coming. You know, it's a yeah. in The Walking Dead when Negan appears, the big bad. There's a bunch of like, it's a whole season build up, and you hear about him. You hear about him, and that's what makes him the biggest baddie. You know. Well, now that I think about it, because of what you're saying about Alarbus, it's kind of necessary to have something like that. I guess before. In the books, they don't explain how Metatron knows everyone's preparing for war. And I'm sure, like, you know, people just hearing it, it's, it's, there's lots of rumors, there's lots of angels, they must gossip. Alarbus delivering the message works because 
the fact of the matter is, like, neither the Authority nor Metatron are actually what they say. They are not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. So someone has to tell them because they actually do not know everything that is always happening, right? Which is the way that God is described in the books, uh, like, all-knowing and everywhere. Yeah, it's a lie. And by the books, I mean the Bible. Yeah, the books. The the book, capital B. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just realized my terminology was confusing there, so I had to had to you know make be a little clear there. There's this line that isn't really part of the world building in the books. I think if I'm remembering correctly, of the knife bearers that I thought was interesting that Alarbus delivered of not been corrupted by the knife's power like the bearers before him, which speaks to the those ideas of is will. Yeah, he is like the youngest knife bearer or something, right? And how he hasn't. He's going through puberty. He hasn't had that knowledge yet and has that innocence, which is kind of, I mean, even part of, if you think about it, how Lyra is able to read the alethiometer through that grace of innocence, as they describe it. it. It also, like, we saw that the other knife bearers did get corrupted. We saw Chitigatse. We saw what became of it. Yeah, so it makes true, sense. True. It's perfectly sensible. Yeah. He's the one that hasn't gotten corrupted yet. And, well, we know that he won't because that knife won't last. Anyways, damn, we really have to watch this end? <laughs> All right. Coulter continues to sass them before her imminent doom over at the Magisterium, and Father MacPhail uses this moment to pray. Brilliant. While Lord Roke kicks the ass out of all the guards outside. Dr. Cooper also looks ready to break, right? Like, you can tell that she's, she's worried. We cut between the bomb and the land of the dead for a bit. Some really great intercising of these scenes, you might want to say. And the blade, you might not want to. The blade comes down. Egging on. <laughs> Dr. Cooper stops it, refusing to go any farther, and Lord Roke frees the monkey. McPhail kills Dr. Cooper with one swift hit from a tool. That was great. Poor Dr. Cooper. Rip in pieces. Oh my god. The entire scene is so well set up to be this huge parallel back to Bullvanger with Dr. Cooper and Lyra, right? And the chamber and freeing of the chamber and somebody freeing. It's a perfect parallel. Everything is done really well. Yeah. It is, it is done really well. As you said, fantastic callbacks. And I think that's why it works for me as that scene, right? Like, and not the big battle, because it does a great callback. I, I like that they make Dr. Cooper this, like, interesting kind of great character, because she stops, you know, she stops the intercising, right? And disobeys, you know, goes against the authority, which is therefore an act of free will, right? They say earlier on that she seems to be acting against her own will, and I like that it's funny to me because she only really feels compassion towards Marisa Coulter, who is maybe like kind of nice to her as a respectful co-worker, I assume. Maybe showed her crumbs of affection. Let's be real. I'm not sure she was ever actually that nice to anyone. And it's interesting because she doesn't really stop to think that, oh, does Mrs. Coulter deserve to be severed? Because she did make this machine and killed a bunch of kids. Right? She doesn't stop to think, she doesn't stop the bomb out of any larger sense of justice or anything, right? She's not saying, like, this is wrong that the authority is doing this. She does it because she cares about this single one person and does it for the sake of one person. It's a little bit like how Mrs. Coulter doesn't really want to overthrow the authority out of any larger sense of justice, unlike Lyra, right, whose eyes are opened upon seeing the plight of the suffering of the, the people who are in the land of the dead beyond just Roger. Her compassion extends larger than that, even until the harpies. Mrs. Coulter only wants to thwart the authority to save Lyra. So, like, Dr. Cooper does not care, I think, about overall morals other than 
how it applies from Risa Colder. What's the word? It's a super amplified Dunbar's number, right? That like What does that mean? So Dunbar's number is the theory that there's a cognitive limit to how many people you can maintain stable oh, right. relationships with, right? So It's like 100. Yeah, it's 100 to 150 people and then after that like Whoa. they fade as people in the background. So when your 150 people are all fucking like borderline Nazis slash are Nazis basically, right? <laughs> like when when that's who <laughs> you're yeah. I mean, I'm just saying yeah, that's Yeah. Uh, and so in the books Dr. Cooper is also held by the magisterium is a prisoner by them. After everything, they find Dr. Cooper, dude, Dr. Cooper, they pick him up. They're like, you're going in jail, buddy, because you know too much. And then they use him for this. So it's like there was no sympathy to be had in the books at all. There was, you know, just do it because you're our prisoner. So I think this is really well leveraged in that they turned dude Cooper into Dr. Cooper here and had that slight sympathy, almost that pang of sympathy of like, whoa, it, I guess it could be me. But she doesn't think it because originally... Who do you think are 150 people are? But it's Marisa too, right? Like they seem to really imply they had a relationship slash understanding of one another. Yeah, they were they were perfectly amicable co-workers, I think. And by that, I mean Marisa was her boss, but like a boss who, I don't know, took her out for lunch on her birthday. As long as she killed kids. Yeah, that's all. Uh, it, it, she didn't have a problem doing this to kids, really. I, well, actually, I might be wrong. I don't really remember season one that well, if you can... I don't remember, but she she didn't stop. She didn't stop the machine when it was killing kids. She did her job. So, I mean, yeah, it's funny, not in a bad way. <laughs> I think again, I find a lot of things that are funny in this, and I think I'm just like I'm in some weird grief process. Yes, <laughs> with this with this story and the pain that's gonna come. So the monkey gets Mrs. Coulter loose, and McPhail tries to do the bomb anyways. McPhail hits Lord Roke. And Marisa says, no, that's my friend, and beats the fuck out of him. Yeah. All like Princess Leia style, right, with Jabba, except less successful. He rises, praying again, and straps himself to do the bomb, which then flashes to Will and Lyra, and then Mrs. Coulter stops the bomb, but Metatron interferes and pushes the blade himself, severing McPhail. Marisa's response to Roke is great, as we mentioned. It sums up that time together we don't necessarily get on screen, and... She's, like, exhausted in book when this happens, right? The real reaction we get is from Asriel saving her, and she's with him, and she's just exhausted. Like, she's just like, my daughter, no. But I love it here because she goes feral. <laughs> like, just fucking yeah. feral. And McPhail, um, I just don't understand how Dr. Cooper died within moments, but Marisa couldn't even knock this bastard out. That feels like some plot armor, McPhail. What the fuck? That's, that's God's armor. That's God's armor. <laughs> it's his strongest soldier. So it's around these areas, right? Like, this is one of my biggest criticisms of the changes. And here's part one of, like, my criticism for this scene. And then I have another one later on that I think you also feel strongly about. I don't know if it was too difficult to, like, direct or to animate because budget, but I would have liked the detail of MacPhail in the books forcing his demon to go through with the intercision rather than himself strapping like himself in and then the lizard going willingly into the cage because in the books it shows that the lizard's like his demon struggles against it does not want to be severed and i like what that scene shows because it shows that mcphail what he wants to do is 
inhuman. It's hurting himself. He's going against what should be his nature as he does like in the show, right? In the human will. Like it's showing that the soul longs to live in experience. Mm -hmm. That's something that I kind of wish to see in terms of that messaging. And then I do like this line though, when Metatron does come and like, I don't know, do the blade thing. He says to Marisa, you think dust can make you gods? And also, I want to call out that uh, someone in the subtitles for HBO used the wrong version of fair. They use F-A-I-R instead of... It should be F-A-R-E, right? It should be F-A-R-E. Yeah, right. It should be F-A-R-E. So, I just want to throw that out there, everyone. Uh, but I like this question of, you think, God, you think dust can make you gods? It calls back to, in the book of Genesis 3, 3 through 3, 5, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And dust is, of course, knowledge. It's that fruit of knowledge and is part of to be like God. It's that that is a biblical callback. I love that you're connecting it to that because it's not the first thing I think of, right? And when you put it this way, it also like shows me like it's it's flow of resources, right? Which mm, no spoilers yeah, yeah. to Secret Commonwealth, but that's also kind of a theme in the Secret Commonwealth. And that dust is like whoever can, not to go Dune on it, but whoever controls it, right? Whoever controls the spice. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what it's transforming this into a capital in some sort of way, a currency in some sort of way. So mm. I. I yeah, it's interesting the way that they've framed this. And I do think uh, that's a great motivation to give Metatron of like, oh, they think they could be like me when, like you said, he can't even be like him. He can't even yeah. really truly be God. You think Darkness is your ally? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in it. That is what he said, basically. Yeah, pretty much. The next, the last scene, closing out this episode, in the Land of the Dead, the bomb does land, but its impact is not seen till the next episode, really. So here, here's my thing with this ending. As this is a book spoiler podcast, you may have read these books before. So you may know <laughs> that this is absolutely not in the books, which is fine. Whatever. Overall, it's fine. I don't really, like, I, literally, I watched these two episodes. I got to the end of six, and I almost forgot about this scene. It gives an easier explanation in one hand to show us why dust starts leaving faster, it was kind of a weird way to have that be the crux that it rested on at the end of the episode. And maybe just weird to have Metatron doing that to kill McPhail because I prefer, I mean, McPhail's bookend is at Coulter's hands. And it kind of shows that I think the show is kind of woobifying Coulter a little bit too much in some aspects. <laughs> like, just like, she's like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm so sad. My daughter, no, no. But she is in the books. Like, she is meow, like meow. this in the books, but it's not so full front center. And she still is like, murderous right like she's still murderous uh she's not fully docile so i like that she kills mcphail especially because he's you know threatening to give her bodily harm but the metatron i think something they're focusing on is adapting some of these off-screen moments that we don't see right or what's next that the reader doesn't really see and sometimes it really slaps sometimes it's amazing mm -hmm. sometimes i'm like okay that did nothing for me and then sometimes it's a swing and a miss. I think this one's in the middle, like, didn't do much for me, but I'm not too upset about it. But also, like, Metatron has to get paid, so I get that, too. I think that's also a big part of this one. Yeah, that's true. Metatron does have to get paid. And yeah, I think I feel more strongly about it than you do. I, You're right. You're right. It's fine. It's 
it's probably fine overall, right? It's not like that big of a deal, but I just have my qualms with it in terms of, you know, again, some of the criticism of the show from book readers is overblown being like, you know, like, can't believe Lyra went to the debt for that. And I'm like, that's literally why she went there as in the books. Like, it's not different. Chill out. You know, I sympathize with like here the idea that this does though i think watered down or misses some of the themes that i thought that the book conveyed well like again having the lizard go so willingly and then show mcphail's death like wish death wish to kill a little girl like if the lizard goes like willingly it it, it i think undoes some of that idea of like how futile this action was right and like how pathetic was it that your desire to deny others life simply because you want to deny yourself pleasure it, it, it doesn't show that self-denial right and then like how pathetic mcphail's like dead body was because of that like they do show his like pathetic dead body but it, it loses i think that impact mm -hmm. yes the dead wo woman spoke of it here but it also shows the lengths that people will go to in their quest for martyrdom and then like again like how stupid that was if you just end up down there right like in in that prison camp as they keep calling it and i think that metatron doing the bomb only like really like half gets us there in that idea of because it almost does then justify mcphail's actions from his perspective because god came to him in his last moments right or what he thinks is god like came to him in those last moments so then he does really actually get to seem blessed and martyred by metatron by doing this thing right god chose him to be the sacrifice and i understand as you said like why it happens from a plot perspective in the show and things got to be like action oriented and the stakes of the war but the stakes in the book have always been that battle for the soul of humanity no pun intended maybe a little pun intended if i'm being honest with myself so that the harpies let me through which is i mean it's kind of why that act of adam and eve to save everyone it's never it's not about like that they kill the authority that's not what reverses the flow of the dust it's not about like the death of metatron it's the small little rebellion the small act of love between them and you know i as you said in the long run it probably doesn't fucking matter it's probably fine but i guess for me i i just care a bit because it doesn't feel like it gets that theme across and you know like yeah mrs culture said the i don't know the anyways the more you Take that get mad that. about it, truly, though, like the more you speak about it, it makes me think about what I said earlier, that the scope of the Magisterium was kept small. Why? Because how much did the Metatron scene cost to add to the end of that? I mean, I'm serious. Like, when you look at it, they split the emotion of that scene, what you get in the books, and they split it to a Ford Metatron. From a technical standpoint. Sure, yeah. And they didn't need to, I guess. <laughs> but as you said, they have to pay that. Yeah, contractually, pay, pay they need to. I mean, contractually, they needed to write something for it, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I guess they need to show, like, I, maybe they need to justify why we showed the clouded mountain. I don't know. Because yeah. you, I, I, it makes sense for them to start showing the clouded mountain here, right, and start establishing this setting. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, because now we're not going to be at the Magisterium at all. There's no McPhail, there's no Gomez at the Magisterium. So now we have to establish a new setting in this episode so that as we move forward in the final episodes, it makes the fuck sense why we see it. Yeah, that's true. It, it makes sense from like a meta perspective, not to... Uh, I really wanted to make a Metatron. Oh my but... god. You know when it would have been really good to have seen it? 
in the first few episodes when it was in the books. Did we not? They they did it a little bit right at the beginning, right? When yeah, they're showing the, the battle, but they didn't bring us in there yet. So the movable part is what I was thinking about the most. I'm like, oh, we didn't see it with the angels earlier chasing Baruch and Balthamo scenes, right? Like we didn't see that part. So we didn't get any of the chase. Because we see yeah. it, we see it yeah. dash in the clouds in earlier chapters. Um, I don't know. I'm interested to see how how it links up against Asriel's because it's going to move and bring yeah. the battle. So maybe maybe they needed to see that you know force wise Metatron is very formidable because he he isn't that formidable in the books. But I also think that was kind of the point. Yeah, I think so too. Like individually, he wasn't. Well, that was episode five. That was no way out. But there is a way out of that episode, and it's into episode yes. six, The Abyss. Okay, well, there's no way out of that one either. So, Oh, my God. Oh, wait, that's so true. So true, Bestie. <laughs> so true, Bestie. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I know you. <laughs> so meta- the, the sarcastic, like, dry, so true, Bestie, is more important to me. Like, saying it about shit that makes no sense. That's really important to me. I hope you understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I value it because I value you. Thanks. Metatron opens up telling us about dust and free will as the atom bomb goes off in the world of the dead. Gorgeously done, though. I mean, for all else, beautifully done how the bomb goes off. Coulter pulls the hair from the locket and the monkey grieves Roke. (sighs) Yeah, that was was good. That with one hand, she's grieving her daughter that she thinks is hurt or injured, and with the other hand, with her monkey's hands, she's grieving Roke, that part of herself that she's what stowed away for so long. Yeah. Think of how many more people we could grieve if we had external demons, you know? Oh, just think. Fra Pavel is confronted by Coulter with the hair out, who tells him, read the alethiometer, commands it, and tells tell her if her daughter survived. She did. He doesn't know that. And now Azriel's rebellion is based on a lie. Yeah. So Mrs. Coulter and Fra Pavel, like, interpreting that the Lyra being in darkness and in the land of the dead means she's dead is a very valid and rational assumption based on the phrasing that the alethiometer gave them. And it is peak comedy, which I mean as a compliment. Hysterical. And it makes so much sense, too, when you think about it from a skill level, because Lyra would have looked at that and said, I wonder what this means. It doesn't mean I'm dead or someone's dead, right? Like she would look at mm. it and go, that's too obvious because Fra Pavel is a basic ass bitch when it comes to the lithiometer. He's a slower reader because he's an adult. That's a that's a great point because she does t- tend to call out those nuances and being like, it means something like this, but that doesn't make any sense in this context or whatever. So yep. that's great. Everyone in the land of the dead has been knocked awry. Roger calls for Lyra, and we see the abyss. It looks beautiful, big, voluptuous, gorgeous. I was afraid of heights a few times in this episode. Yeah. Like, the Mary stuff in the tree, and then this. Like, I actually felt my stomach a little bit clench up, and I'm not, like, afraid, afraid of heights because I'm tall. You know, you can't just be afraid of heights. You'd have a horrible life. I'm just kidding. Yeah, my stomach clenched. Ugh. Yeah, it, it it looks great. Captures how much of the dust is disappearing, like, so much of it that it's actually visible to the human eye. Yeah. All right. Intro dance break. Eliana? All right. So we're back at Azriel's camp. Amazing. Dust has gone crazy, and he's measuring it with a handy dandy silver dust measuring machine, which is fun. It's got like the detecty things. And Azrael is like, fuck yeah, about the abyss and dust reading, like fluctuating with it. And I'm like, Azrael, you fucking idiot. 
you short-sighted fucking idiot he's like so jazzed about it because like i baited metatron into responding and like making this thing that we're going to use against him without realizing that this is actually a net negative for free will right until his daughter and will clean up his fucking mess but like this is actually going against like your goals of saving everyone and free will happily surprised with the consistent as real characterization in yes. this season because even in the books he's like ignorantly stupid especially like there's the scene where he's all boastful at the council like well my children are gonna defeat you know death and my child lyra is out there right now and it only becomes that after he finds out she's still alive and that her goal is basically similar to his and he's like well, she's faded and that makes me more important. And he like changes his tune and he starts to kind of do that even in this episode. And it's really funny. Yeah. Yes. Very consistent to character. We get a shot of our favorite, uh, one of our other favorite witches come back to the episodes. I was wondering when they would introduce her, but Serafina Pekula flies in watching the ground below her crumble out. And similarly, Lyra's other mother, Mary Malone is watching dust leave from that tall tree through the spyglass. Yep. The intention craft arrives at Azrael's with Marisa and her demon inside. Azrael welcomes her back as if nothing's happened, but Marisa, as you all know, thinks Lara is dead and informs him also of Metatron's presence. We get the Metatron intro talk there from them. This woman is going to lose her mind in this show. I can't wait to watch her win awards for it. Like, those last two episodes last episode is it going to be penultimate they die at the end next what's going to happen here shit fuck whatever happens oh it might be the finale i think it'll be the finale because i i don't really know everything about how like pay structure works but i think they would like have to be in it right something about contracts or whatever maybe maybe not though maybe not um Hmm. but whatever's going to happen in the next two episodes ruth wilson's going to lose her mind on tv for us and it's going to be extraordinary and i can't wait to see it yeah this is also kind of funny to me where she like goes up to Azriel and is like, would you like me to tell you how your daughter died or would you like to keep tinkering with your toys? And Azriel's response is literally, I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you, though, or sorry that happened. Yeah, right. The if what you're saying is true, I am very sorry. But like, what a condescending prick. What? What? I do love that she sasses him, though. That was a great tinkering with toys line. It was a very mom mm-hmm. yelling at dad response. Glad we're getting the gang back together, you know? <laughs> Reuniting these two. Roger finds Lyra and Will, and more of the land falls away. Meanwhile, Asriel takes a trip after the scene <laughs> with, <laughs> with Marisa, and he scales down the abyss. Stelmaria yells at him for it as he goes lower and lower. He starts to see the dust flowing into the emptiness as Mary and Atal discuss it as well at the same time. Yeah, I love that Mira uses the language of saying that the dust disappearing is now like a flood. It could sometimes be used to mean cleansing, but it it's a punishment, right? We have that Metatron voiceover and shit at the beginning telling us about dust and taking it away. And, and fl- the dust leaving being described like a, a flood, it's kind of like how Noah's flood in the Bible was sort of a punishment, right? Like, we're going to undo it. Everyone was too bad and too disobedient. I love that. Especially, like, connected with Mary's arc. I feel like she has a lot of, like, I don't know, Noah protection, right? You know, you gotta Mm. protect people. You got one of each. Lyra and Will. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to fucking say this. Sergi, Ruta's demon, is scouting the area. She's sent to Serafina for help as well. A gunway and her are surveying the area themselves, and Sergi 
falls into the abyss and gets sucked deeply within after fighting very hard against the, the abyss. She can't stop him from falling, and Sergei bursts into dust. Ruta Scotty, I'm twitching right now, Ruta Scotty dies in a gunway's arms. Boo! Boo! This is my really well put together criticism, everyone, and I want you to hear it right now, word for word. Boo! What? What the flying fuck was that? Literally flying fuck, right? That's not funny, but it kind of is. (laughs) When I wanted them to remove the Asriel Ruta sex stories, I didn't mean like this. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mind that, you know, like, the gun, like, I don't really care. That was just an idea where, like, maybe. But it just, like, makes no sense. Sergei's, like, sucked into the abyss. Also, why wasn't Stelmaria? Stelmaria should be, like, right there, right next to Azrael. Like, why wasn't Stelmaria no sucked into the abyss? No. Stelmaria can't even fucking fly. Yeah. I don't know. It was... <sighs> I'm sorry, but it was kind of stupid. <laughs> No, it was stupid. It was really stupid. It made no sense to me. Well, it did, but we'll talk about that. I had, there was just like a bunch of other witches which we have had established in previous seasons. That this could have been like one of those red shirts. I don't know if it was like because the audience should care, right? This might just be me. So you know, take that as a caveat. It feels weird to me to fridge the black woman who has the most speaking lines in the last season and in this season for the development of three white people. Not just Azriel and Marisa, but we also see it used to further Serafina Pekala's character development mm-hmm. and therefore in Marisa's. And and I also have a sinking suspicion they're going to use it for a Gunway's plot for him to have a reason to care, even though he has a whole entire world to care. Right. And there's like the gender aspect too, when it comes to that. And like, it's the year 2022. All right. It's the year 2022. Yeah. Fridging happens sometimes, but like, let's be intentional about it. And like what we're depicting, you know, I, the kill your gaze thing, with the angels, that sucks, right? Like, it's something that merit, merit, not sucks. The kill your gaze thing with the angels, Baruch and Balthamos, is something that does also merit criticism. But also, that was the year 2000. And even just the inclusion of the gay angels, their relationship, and then casting them as holy beings was already kind of subversive and forward thinking for the year 2000. And it's insane how much the world has changed in those 22 years, but it has, right? Like, I this just did not sit right with me. And the scene alone didn't sit right with me, but I have more to say when we get to Serafina arriving, because it's just very obvious what this scene really was supposed to be establishing, and I think it was the worst adaptive choice they've made so far. It was definitely the Tony Macarios of Series 3 for me. I hmm. really... It was funny, my husband got up to go to the bathroom literally right before it happened and so he left and he knows not to fuck with like tv at that point like it is what it is if you go to the bathroom it's like a movie in here like you don't we don't pause right like you're choosing and you made that choice with your own free will free will yeah free free will will. exactly but literally the time it took for him to go to the bathroom come back he walks in and it's me just booing at the screen it's just me alone going what the fuck boo what it was definitely my least adaptive choice that they've made um i've lauded them personally on a lot of adaptive choices i feel like i've been Mm -hmm. really lenient and this one i don't like and that's that that's what i have to say about it but 
Don't yeah. like it. Yeah, it, and again, it's also because it makes no sense. Because what about Stelmaria or Stelmaria? Right? She's Ugh. she's right there. Why is she not getting swooped into the abyss? Especially with like Azrael that far down. This one's the worst one, and Stelmaria is the next worst one. Just so you know. Mm, if mm, you mm. Say it one more time like that. I swear to God, Eliana, I'll divorce you on this podcast. Say <laughs> Stelmaria. <laughs> How it's dare hard. You? I don't know. Stelmaria. Uh, that's so hard. Stelmaria. They keep walking at the Land of the Dead, surveying the damage. Will asks, what would happen if we fall? Well, someone's going to find out for you in the next couple of episodes. (laughs) Lyra pulls him back from the darkness. Aw. And they start to jump from rock to rock, kind of like that Abbott Elementary episode where the kids are jumping from desk to desk (laughs) as a TikTok trend. Oh, have you finally started watching? Baby, I'm almost caught up. If you would get off this call with me, I'd go get caught up. Roger and Will have this cute little pissing match. You know, where they get a little big dick jealous. They're like, no, I'm her boyfriend. No, I was her boyfriend. No, I'm her boyfriend. It's kind of cute. But it, it's it's all lighthearted. Like, it's really not serious. But it was really funny because it was just the boys got a little mm, chest out. Yep. Yep. I'm a man. No, I'm a man. <laughs> and I'm like, you're both boys. You're both boys. <laughs> One of you is kind of like corporeal. You know, like, you're not even real. You're kind of ghost, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just settle down, yeah. you two. So, chill out, Casper. Um... <laughs> <laughs> It that that's what happened in Casper a little bit. Okay, anyways, Godway has to have a one on one with Azrael and is like, mm, Queen Ruta is dead, and Azrael does not care. We do. Then Seraphina shows up and interrupts. She's pissed as hell, not as mad as us, and they talk her down. And Azrael explains the abyss to them and what happened to Ruta Scotty. Ruta's death serves as giant foreshadowing, especially in this scene for Marisa and Azrael's fate. It's linked with that quick little scene we just talked about where, you know, Will asks, what would happen if I fall? All of this benefits Azrael and Maurice's plot, even this interaction here. And I don't know, sure, Serafina is 300 and emotionally experienced far past the likes of us, right? But for her to be pissed that Ruta dies on a technicality when she shows up to Azrael is like, wow, could this have happened? Blah, blah, blah. But then later when Coulter goads her and is like, I tortured your witch friend. She refuses to take that. Like, she doesn't take the bait. That's mm, fine. She yeah. knows it's bait. But to me, that doesn't feel clean or cohesive. That is not consistent with Serafina's character and what they've shown us. Uh, to me, it was very obvious that this was clunkily done to benefit foreshadowing for the future of the plot and to leverage tension in the plot and looking for payoff emotionally. That won't be there. Yeah. There's no emotional payoff to, like, what what happened there. It, it They could have fucking redshirted it. Yeah. And, like, a Gunway didn't need a reason to be mad at Asriel already. Like, he already has reasons to be mad at Asriel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, like, I don't know. There there should be a shit ton of witches, right? Seraphina's not traveling solo, mm-hmm. necessarily. Like, she might not be, especially if everyone's coming here for this war. Like, And the queen of witches dies on your watch? Yeah. Like, a lot of people are showing up for this war. So, it, ugh, ugh. Not my favorite. But I really want to feel good about the show again, so I just have to forget that ever happened for the rest of this episode, right? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I think the delay in climate change, which we're about to get to here in a few, uh, that delay in the climate change mattering, you know, that Yorick says to him, like, Yorick says, 
oh, you've ruined my world. And I'm like, finally, we get the climate change. But I think delaying it till this episode also was a disservice to this because that could have been used. You know what I mean? Like, there are so many things that we could have escalated Asriel's shitheadness for them to be upset about or deal with than just having a witch die because she goes into the abyss. And further, it's that they brought the abyss here because it wasn't here in the books yet. Um, the abyss, like, started to show up everywhere bit by bit from the bomb and the effects started to be felt, but there wasn't mm. a huge crack in Asriel's land right there yet. Yeah, it is eventually there, right? Because that's how they're able to fight the war and jump into it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah he reminds me of that comic of, like, yes, yes, you know, the little sickos. illustration. Yes, yeah, sickos. Yeah, that one. So Lyra and Roger and Lee retell their adventure in the balloon, and Will's a little jealous slash left out, but gets over it. And there's a little wink about Lee knowing a shaman. Many people don't like how Lee Scoresby was casted by Lin-Manuel Miranda or him as the role. But I honestly, I find the guy a little annoying outside of the show. <laughs> I do. I, he's a nice guy, I'm sure. And I just find his, I'm like, yeah, 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 you're Lin-Manuel Miranda. I get it. He has the attitude. But I love him as Lee Scoresby. I actually think that Lee is like supposed to be kind of a heavy-handedly cheesy character and he's not quite you know he's the younger character of him like from once upon a time in the north as we've discussed yes. but yes i find him great so his return and like even like the shaman nods i knew that we were getting played until the end of the episode because of that because every time you'd be like it's like this shaman i once knew did you know i knew a shaman who made me a bacon sandwich uh uh wink wink like I knew we were getting him at the very end. You were watching it and messaging me like, where is he? I'm so mad. Where is he? And I'm like, just shut up and watch the episode, Eliana. Just watch the episode. <laughs> I knew well, it. I just need to tell you my thoughts, you know, like all the time. And yeah, uh, as you said, you know, I've seen people being like, no, we imagine Lee more like, what, what's his name? Sam Wilson or something from the first one. And he actually did not necessarily like match my conception of Lee. Sam Wilson like yeah, he was much older right and there are like I think as you said this is very much the least scores we get in the novella once upon a time in the north if we could just have so. a middle ground between the two of them you know like add a decade or take a decade away mash them together they'd be perfect are you asking them to do even more makeup and CGI than they've already done? Just throw them onto Lin Manuel. No, make Miranda. a chimera. You know, just form them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. That 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 works perfectly with the Fuhrer King Bradley stuff. Coulter wants to bail, but a gunway is like, listen, don't go. We could do great things here if Azriel's dick would quit getting in the way. She tells him she's like, my daughter's dead. And he says, well, Asriel has gone north with the intention craft, so I can't let you leave. You can't take the intention craft. Yeah, they're just almost about to let a gunway, you know, talk to her about losing a child, but then they save that for Serafina. Yeah, they do. The golden monkey disobeys her order to come and Ugh. skitters off somewhere. The way that... When a gunway tries to, like, comfort her, he goes to touch her like some normal people might do that, like, physical comfort. And it's heartbreaking because she just pulls away. You see her flinch away, uh, which I would too, especially after the last episode with the handling that she was receiving from McPhail and that he was constantly trying to put himself atop her with kisses or touches. Uh, and then I also love, though, at that same token, she flinches and she's like this hurt creature being like, my daughter's dead. But then in the same exact breath, she's like, so can I have the car so I can leave? Like, just yeah. immediately. So anyway, so you'll give me the intention craft then. 
Amazing. Great performance, Coulter, you know? Will glances around looking for his father, and Lee offers to send the word back for his friend. He's like, wait, John Perry, John Perry, John Perry. Joppery, which is not a conclusion I would have made over him. But at least the knife helped with that, right? He's like, oh, wait. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, that helped a little bit. You're a knife bearer? Oh my god. The shaman son is the knife bearer. Uh, yeah. A lot of things had to change for this scene to work in terms of like the order that things happened and and their it, it did have a lot of emotional impact. But I do like the scene and I also like how that moment of irony of him finding out like is juxtaposed with the next one with Lyra's dad, aka Yorick, aka Yorick, while this one is about Will's dad. Yes. It's funny because my first thought was how it juxtaposes with the Serafina and Coulter scene. And I didn't mm. think about how this actually juxtaposes with Will's dad against this. But uh, I mean, I think the, the big theme is just these great, horrible familial relationships because he uses the ring to summon Joppery. And yes, I bitched about this to no end that Lee gets his Navajo ring that was once his mother's, right? Mm -hmm. There's no purpose for it. Well, then he realizes when he's given it back, it has a purpose. Yeah. And the, and the Lantern Sides actually ask us, where is it now? So we know it's in the land of the dead. Did it dissolve with him? Or maybe it's laying there, right? By the window. That could be interesting. That would be interesting. I'm glad it got used. I don't know if this is like an official thing. You know, I don't know if Pullman gave it a thumbs up, but I'm just glad to have seen it come back into use because that Lantern Slide, you know, we just don't know. It might come back in the Books of Dust. Yeah, it could. It all, it's one of two things, like it could come back, but also I think Philip Pullman loves those open-ended questions too. Absolutely. He likes a little mystery. Because he doesn't know everything about his world. Yeah, he loves that he doesn't know everything about his world, which is something that I like about him and his philosophy about writing. Doesn't his other series have a little mystery to it too? The Sally Lockhart, right? The Ruby yeah, and the Smoke, yeah, that... Shadow in the North. It's a... It is literally a mystery, yeah. Yeah, it's a good mystery. It's a Victorian setting, so... He likes, he does like a little mystery. Yeah. In the North, Asriel, oh my God, when I saw this scene, I knew Eliana would be so happy. Asriel gets his ass beat by King Yorick Burnison, everything I've ever wanted to see, and they finally address yep. global warming, as mentioned. And also, Asriel admits Yorick is basically Lyra's real dad. Yorick, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> Yorick tells him Lyra's gone to the land of the dead and that he fixed the knife. Yes, Lyra's alive. Yes. So there we go. The climate change thing is canon and real. Finally. Finally. What a scene. There's a lot of why and how on why he's here, how he came here, that I'll never get answers to. And obviously they needed to find out why Lyra's alive. But I don't care. No notes. Because we got to see Yorick cuff Asriel. That was everything I've ever wanted. And it connects really well to that Serafina Coulter scene coming up. And also... Yorick beats Asriel's ass. Sorry, did I mention that? Yeah. And I mean, he should have done it more. Yorick should have done it more. Throw him around a little bit. I love that Yorick not only wants to beat him up and not only wants to kill Asriel for being like a bad dad, but also on behalf of Roger. Because Yorick did also know Roger, right? Like, we love Yorick, aka Liar's real dad. Of course, we saw Asriel. I guess for the first time do a prison break. Lyra's experienced and seasoned, but we saw him doing a prison break at the front of the season when he got a gunway, right? Yes. So, so here he is very proud, all, oh, 
my daughter doing a prison break. Yeah, right. Like he thinks, oh, she's just like me. I'm like, no, you're just like her, right? Like, as you said, Lara's done it before in Bolvanger. She is the blueprint. Isn't that what they're both learning, right? Coulter and him. He's just learning it slower. They both don't know, though. They just like don't know. They are. <sighs> Anyways, in the land of the dead. Our protagonists walk along a tiny ledge and the abyss stares up at them and Lyra starts to stare back too hard and then falls, but no name, the harpy, catches her, bringing her back. Thought that resonated really well this episode, the seduction of the darkness of the abyss for a lot of the characters that kind of looked into it a little bit. Asriel, for example, was like, wow, this is so beautiful, looking down into the matter and Lyra too for a moment started to look and I love... I don't know, I thought the theme was just really resonant that like we all have this darkness within us, right? There's always something that will call to darkness inside any of us. And we all stray sometimes Mm. close to the ledge. And sometimes you need someone's love to bring you back or someone to bring you back from that ledge. Yeah, I love that interpretation of it. For Lyra, it's like that moment of, I don't know, vertigo slash slash pride. But I think this one, as you said, right, that's that's a really lovely way to read it, as you've said. Thanks. Which I've said too many times. That's a But this one, I think that's a really lovely interpretation, how you've read this. And also that that love can come from unexpected places. Like a harpy. Like a harpy. That's not nice to say about Mrs. Coulter. Isn't it? And I think that is the least of the things we can say. I mean, it's kind of a compliment, truly, now that you look at it. Serafina and Coulter have a discussion about Lyra, where Coulter tries and fails to get Serafina into mercy killing her. Serafina tells her about the loss of her own son and that Lyra gave her hope. They talk about the prophecy as well, which kind of gives her another new hope. While I certainly don't appreciate how we got to this scene, I love this scene. Like, I really do love this scene. It's one of my favorite non-book canon scenes on the show. I'm a noted hater of the Lee and Marisa scene, as we've discussed. I'm better about it now. I'm fine with it. It's fine. But this scene, I love. Both Asriel and Marisa have had to confront these new parents of Lyra, right? These people that were there when they didn't choose to be there but also kind of there when they couldn't in a way be there and the first thing Coulter says to her right is I tortured your witches to hurt her because to her she is the most hurt by this woman by Serafina Pecola who has had a fresh and new opportunity to parent Lyra right opportunities Coulter could never have had with Lyra because she was kind of you know horrendous and chose a different lifestyle and then when she did try to get in Lyra wouldn't let her in because once more Mm -hmm. Lyra found out she was horrendous. So (laughs) it's like this horrible innate jealousy of watching someone else raise your child when you did want to, even if you would have been horrible at it. And even if your lifestyle wasn't for it, there was always that aching part of you that was like, I wanted to love her too. And Serafina got to in some ways. And I I thought that it was just really well played by both actresses, whereas that first scene with Serafina Pecola running in being like, how could Bruta have died felt inauthentic to me. It felt like a forced scene. This scene felt very authentic. The flow of the scene was very emotional and it it was very touching. And especially for what it does to Coulter for the rest of the episode, right? Like this conversation truly moves her and changes her in a way. Yeah, it does. It does. All of that loss and learning to move forward from it. And there's there's just like this wonderful line that Serafina delivers. And then she goes on and expands on it. And those are also really well written. But like to do the succinct thing, this pithiness of you were a monster, but look what experience did to you. I thought that was just very powerful. Yeah, my heart was blown apart by that 
you know, she was saying, look, love changed you in just this little time. What could it do even more? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Will and Lyra share a moment together before Lyra thanks No Name the Harpy and decides that she wants to give her something, a name, Gracious Wings. They ask her if they're going the right way and she points them in the correct direction. And Gracious Wings tells them true stories nourish the harpies. Lyra makes a deal that if the dead tell her stories, she'll guide them to this exit to be set free. Tell them stories. Tell them stories. And everyone kind of, you know, keeps whispering that later on and will says of lyra like the language that he uses at some point is like that she tamed the harpies i don't know if she really tamed them but like whatever i don't care but it reminds me in general of maybe mrs coulter taming the specters that's interesting especially with all those lines of like i don't know you have the idea of mastering death right how do you master death and lyra is supposed to defeat death and harpies aren't death necessarily Mm. but just the idea of mastery when it comes to souls. I just realized, you might have said this before, Mrs. Coulter is able to tame and master the specters. Not that she masters death, but because she is also called to the abyss. They're little abysses. Yeah, she can control the darkness within her, which is probably why she's able to temper her demon. Mm. This is great Lyra naming the harpy coming off of Yorick telling, talking to Azrael about renaming Lyra. Right. And with Serafina as well, kind of drives home that great create your own family and fate narrative and that a family could mm-hmm. just be an oversized bird woman with eye goop with thousands of souls to shepherd across. Lyra renames her and gives her a new narrative, a new story, a new fate. Something, I mean, it couldn't just be fun to scare people all day, though maybe it is. I should try it. Uh, it it's a new life. Lyra gave her a new version of life. I love it. It's a fantastic like message and narrative and Igoop is annoying, and that's why Monsters, Inc. was such a powerful movie, you know? Oh my god, this is just Monsters, Inc. <laughs> it actually kind of is, just a little bit. Yeah, the gobblers, oh my god, um, wow. And then, like, with Sully, right? Like, you were a monster, but look what experience did to you. They're actually all monsters, whatever. Gotta close that window someday when you gotta grow up, right? It is a window. Yeah, I know. Oh my god. Goodbye, boo. Okay. Final critique for me on the Harpies. I really love the look of them. I thought they looked great, and I loved the voice acting and VFX and different things about them. But I found it interesting they stuck and clung to the we need true stories when they didn't show the Harpies attacking Lyra and saying she was telling lies. And yes, it just like came out of nowhere. And I get you have to obviously give it a reason to happen, which is good, like good for it to happen. But I, I did kind of feel like we were missing a chunk there of the story when it came to the lies with the harpies. And that kind of undoes like how strongly it correlates to Monsters Inc a little bit, you know, because Monsters Inc sets that up of like you are undoing the you're pulling the wool and undoing the lies that are told to you, not just like that lies don't nourish them, but like especially cuz you know, it turns out there's like one big cosmic lie going on in this story, overarching. Mhm. Oh, that must really be taken a big chunk of their day out those harpies damn mm-hmm. very unnourished so Azrael returns telling coulter that lyra's alive she's in the land of the dead aka prison purgatory and that everything is purgatory and then mrs coulter recalls the prophecy of like wait maybe you're right because if lyra's eve and then she's supposed to defeat death 
I also love that Asriel's like, yes, finally, there's a valid reason for my war. Yeah, my sperm finally did something. Wait. Costume change, of course. Coulter means business. She's back in her explorer outfit, her neutral browns. Lee has found Will's father, and they finally get to share the moment we've all wanted them to have. Mm-hmm. Will gets to finally tell his dad who he really is. He goes, I hate fighting. And it speaks to this idea of how both Will and Lyra are very much bound by these prophecies and these fates, right? Like, they themselves may not even have free will right now. Will is forced to fight by this fate. He talked about this in the books, too, I think. And when he's older, he gets to, like, become a doctor and choose to be a healer instead. That's his free will. Yeah, and it's what we've always wanted, right? you're able to finally say to your dad's face, like, I don't believe the narrative you've put forth for me is my path and I'm going to break that without any yes. sort of, you know, it's very, it's very healing. It's like, I know this is what you wanted for me, but you're a dead motherfucker and you can't do anything about it. So you have to let me go because I'm letting you go today. Yeah, exactly. And and he does. He gets all of that like validation. It's it's a beautiful moment and scene. The one line I don't love, and I I'm not saying it's bad writing. Um, I don't know if this is like intentionally delivered this way or not though, but I just don't like the idea of it of like his father says to him, You will live a full life with your mother, which maybe that is reassuring to Will, right? Like because we see that the how the harpies use that against him, but to me, it just kind of still like goes along with the parentification, the thing that he needed to heal from, right? And then also, as you get older, puberty, right? And this idea of experience and adulthood, you have to leave the nest. You cannot just be tied to your mother the whole time. And how later on the, the knife, it's transferred from being unable to break the bond between Will and his mother, because turns out that's not strong enough anymore, to needing it to be the unbreakable bond between Will and Lyra instead. So that's just, I, I don't think it's bad. I just, um, troubled by the implications of this in general. Yeah. And it might be like, again, an intentional, an intentional thing because obviously like his dad doesn't truly get him. He's met him, known him for like, I don't know, three hours. Damn. Yeah. It's in some ways it's, you know, it's kind of the opposite of Lyra's, situation in some aspects that her dad was there it's just he wouldn't tell the yeah. truth and take responsibility for her at all whereas his dad chose to leave and travel and couldn't get back yeah he tried yeah he sure did and then he died <laughs> he sure did <laughs> roger reassures lyra she's on the right path and how lucky will is to have her by his side they admire one another's bravery and they kind of make up. No more competitions between the two boys. <laughs> Will and Joppery, meanwhile, talk about Lyra and the knife. Will tells him he's exhausted. And his father says, well, that's because you're without your demon, silly. He says mm. he guided Will's demon himself and that she's on the way to Asriel's Republic. He also leaves him with a big nugget of advice. Don't try to live in a world that's not your own, no matter how tempting it seems. I mm. was crying a little bit. Just a little, just like very faintly. You know, I'm practicing for the big leagues next week. I would have loved them for do. I mean, the timing of this, as you mentioned, it all is out disarrayed. It doesn't line up. I would have loved for them to do the weird Lyra's hair thing and have them be with him for the second half of the episode. But I think Sexy Preacher Guy, which I've also watched since we've covered the books. Thank you yes, very much. Yes. I've watched oh my Fleabag. gosh, yeah, that's right. I think our Sexy Preacher here, uh, you know, he kind of costs a pretty penny. So I get it. And it's, and he's busy. 
He's busy. He's gotten real big. He's gotten like he's really he's he's a very primo actor, you know. Yeah, and it was perfect setup. Otherwise, Boku Bucks. I yeah. mean, this is like the perfect setup for the botanical gardens. Unfortunately, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And like this was delivered to us off screen in the books because they really wanted to twist that knife. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he kind of told it. Like it was a little on screen, but like still, I can see why they didn't give the entire speech from the books that he gives Will, where you learn, you know, he got mortally sick and that your demon can only live its full life. He doesn't go into all of it. He just says, "Don't do it. It's bad for you, and it you will not remain healthy." Which is good because the entire passage is pretty. Pretty explanatory. Uh, but he does say something I wish that I kind of wish this was kept in. He says, We can travel if there are openings into other worlds, but we can only live in our own. Lord Asriel's great enterprise will fail in the end for the same reason. We have to build the Republic of Heaven where we are, because for us, there is no elsewhere. Yeah, like you said, a lot of things had to change for, you know, things to fall like this way temporally within the story. And it's fine, like, that that happened. Again, love the scene between Will and his dad. My only qualm is that Lyra doesn't get to meet Joppery at all because Will met Lyra's mother and also her very supportive father, Yorick. (laughs) She needs to meet all of the parents and the in-laws for the wedding. I mean, he also did kind of meet, like, one of Lyra's dads, right? Like, Lee Scoresby. That's true, too. Yeah, so, like... I just want Lyra to meet one of Will's parents. That's it. Serafina tells Coulter and Asriel that Pan couldn't have gone to the Land of the Dead and that she will be sending Kaiza to find the demon to reunite them. Thankfully, she knows not to let Kaiza go anywhere near that big gap in the ground. I love that she basically tells them, though, you have to do everything for Lyra now instead of doing it for Asriel's hubris. She, like, scolds them like they're children. Yes. She's like, I hope you know from here on out, everything you do is for Lyra. And, I mean, Coulter does. Coulter's on yeah. it. Coulter's like, I She's like, you don't need to it. tell me. Yeah, I'm already, yeah. did the class homework, did all the essays, did the projects. I'm in. Yes, yes. Lyra and Will, Absolutely. meanwhile, get to the end of the road and have to cut their way out. Light spills into the land of the dead, and Roger says he'll go first before he drives daggers into my fucking Jesus goddamn heart. He drifts into the dust after a great little back and forth with Lyra, and then Lee leaves, of course, to go be with Hester, and the rest of the dead are kind of ready to go. Yeah, I they did a wonderful job with this parting for both Roger and for Lee, and, you know, the pause of Roger giving sort of that closure to Lyra, but it's still a goodbye, you know? Like, can you really ever get closure from someone dying in front of you twice like that? And and then, like, the goodbye for Lee, like, Lyra's being left behind here, you know? Yes, Roger and Lee are going to a better place, and they are kind of with Lyra because they're part of everything in the world and life now, but she can't really talk to him. She was able to talk to him in this terrible form that they held, but she's learning to let them go because that's... What's good for them? And the way that Mrs. Coulter still needed to learn and won't learn until like in a few episodes, you need to let them go, right? But it, it's just really sad for Lyra. Like she's, there's, you see the grief she's experiencing. And there's just so much grief for that little girl. And it's, I don't know. It's different when well you're done. older, you know? Like you know you have to let things go eventually. Even when it happens, though, it's hard. And it's still hard when you're older, you know? I mean, they won't just be there when she needs their guidance, but also it's that crux of experience and innocence right and 
going mm, over into of having true. a lived experience and lived a life to where you know they'll be everything that you see every day. They'll be a part of you. They'll be everywhere you look. Even if you can't see them, they'll be there. Yeah. Their yeah. lessons, their learnings, their everything. They'll be there. Well, Mary watches the sky, feeling the wind rustle, feeling something, anything. And Marisa tells her demon that Lyra's alive, and she tells her demon that it hurts when they're apart and that she doesn't know why she does it. it. It's actually like a really sad scene, but the monkey is very cute. She tells the monkey that he was the strong one all along and that she's so very sorry and begs him to come back. I want you to know I have always been a Golden Monkey fan, and you can go back in the podcast. I have always loved the Golden Monkey, and some of you, okay, season one didn't happen, but some of you, that was Marisa's fault, some of you have bitched about the monkey and haven't liked him and said he's evil, but he's not evil. He is an extension of Marisa. He is Marisa, and this was a beautiful reunion after having Mm -hmm. broken up earlier in the episode when he wouldn't go with her, right, when he would no longer follow her. And Mm -hmm. there's actually a great mirror to one of my favorite chapters in the mid-end of the book, Midnight, which is when Asriel picks up Coulter and brings her back from the Magisterium, and they have this quiet conversation, and she hears the War Council. She's asleep, and she wakes up and hears it on this... uh, Maybe they're they're back already, or maybe she's on the ship. I can't remember. It might be still on the Zeppelin. But she hears everything, and he comes to her, and he's like, did you hear all that? And he's all, you know, blitzed. He's excited. He's like, war, war. Did you hear all that? Did you hear all that? And she's like, yes, Asriel. Yes, Asriel. I heard all of it. She's, like, exhausted. She doesn't care. She's like, where's Lyra? Did you, do you know where she is? And he's like, Metatron's going to go after her. And she's like, she collects herself, her and her demon together. And there's this great passage. Her eyes found that, her eyes found the eyes of her demon. The golden monkey's expression was as subtle and complex as it had ever been in all of their 35 years of life. Very well, she said. I can't see any other way. I think, I think Will. He knew at once what she meant. He leapt to her breast and they embraced. Then she found her fur-lined coat, and very quietly they left the chamber and made their ways down the dark stairs. Because for Marisa and for the monkey, they knew it was never a question at that part of their journey. They knew they're like, anything. Yeah, that's a wonderful description of what's going on here and how they become aligned on this. And this idea of like the self-healing, it's it's really great. And it, it's, it's a good scene. And... I, I mean, I've always thought the monkey was cute. Like, I, I would have fucking gotten kidnapped, probably. Actually not. I, I think I'm kind of, you know, stranger danger. I was also taught stranger danger, so maybe not. Either way. I do like this. As you said, right? Like, it's always been the monkey is Marisa. They are one. Like, one isn't evil. Both of them were very troubled. <laughs> and I wonder, kind of, if we're going to see, like... A mirror of like the reaching out of the hand scene maybe for other characters probably not that's like a common visual motif so whatever strong wonderful scene though yeah it got me it fucking got me yeah Zephania then tells Marisa and Azriel that it's time prophecy number one is done on to prophecy number two in episodes seven and eight Time to kill God. Time to kill God. We have two left. I can't believe that next week's episode will be our final episode on, well, at least on the episodes of series three. We're doing it again. Doing it live. 
Oh my god, it hurts. We just finished his Dark Materials, The Ember Spyglass, what, like a few months ago? Oh my god. I know. That's why I'm like, I, I feel too emotionally raw, but I guess we're doing it again. We so. are letting them raw dog our heart next week, live. Why would you want to watch a film that makes you feel that? Uh, that makes you feel horrible. Us at home. I know that I said we were going to do a discussion, maybe. We're not going to do a discussion today. I'm saving it for next week because... I'm so overwrought with emotion. I think there will be tons to discuss next week. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you taking a listen to us in our episode 5, episode 6 coverage of series 3 of His Dark Materials. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to keep up with when our episodes come out, we're following the US release schedule, but also you can... Stay up to date by following us on social media, twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or you can also let us know what you think, right? You can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you're looking for where to find our final episode of the season next week, you can find that on a podcast platform near you, whether that is Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio pandora audible you name it we're on all of them yes and somewhere that you can definitely always find us is on patreon we're at patreon.com slash girls gone canon you can get bonus episodes if you subscribe in the stranger tier and above five dollars and up or maybe you're interested in uh doing the little discord stuff which is available for patrons in the thunder tier and above ten dollars and up yeah, and there are lots of fun things going on, like some hangouts with our other friends at our Discord for His Dark Materials that'll be coming up in January for some voice chats there, as well as our monthly brunch and happy hour, which has happened this month, but we will have a date TBA for you on next month. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Until next week. Indeed, indeed. It'll just be atoms of you, atoms of me, Eliana, floating around. We'll be in a little bit of everything next week. We will. I mean, we're going to mostly be sad, probably. Uh, Goodbye. Bye.